It's award season. At least it is for us here at the Nerd by Word. The third annual Nerdies are today. So put on your best suit or at least your best bow tie there, Jimmy Olsen. I Word begins now. Welcome into episode 156, the third annual Nerdy Awards, where Dave and I share our picks for the best in content over the past calendar year. Uh, Before we get to the good stuff and the awards and the best ofs first, we have to cover... And Dave, it's the moment you've been waiting for, at least for the last couple of months. Yeah, and once again, I'm going to probably butcher some names here because that's just how I roll. But uh, we have an official uh, casting announcement for the leads of the upcoming uh, Superman Legacy, which is uh, both written and directed by uh, former MCU stalwart and Guardians of the Galaxy head honcho uh, James Gunn. So uh, there's been, you know, just tons of speculation for what seems like most of my life at this point. Uh, I'm really getting old just sitting around watching speculation for Superman. And as a huge Superman fan, I've been watching this very, very carefully, obviously. And there were several interesting frontrunners. Um, first, let's talk about Lois Lane for a second, who, um, you know, is actually one of my all-time favorite you know, female comic book characters. And I kind of had thrown my support behind uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel's Rachel Brosnahan uh, of all the people that had been mentioned as just somebody who would be, you know, perfect for this role. Like, it almost feels like you could take her Miss Maisel character and just, like, throw it in a Superman movie and be like, okay, you're the you're the fast-talking, smart, strong woman character. Go. And, and there's Lois Lane. She just is Lois Lane to a T. And lo and behold, Brosnahan was, in fact, cast as... Uh, Lois Lane. Um, And then, of course, we have uh, Superman himself, Clark Kent, uh, an actor I don't know much about called David Cornsweet, which is interesting because uh, a few clips have kind of made their way on on social media of him in various roles. And he does seem to have sort of that, that Clark Kent, Superman, earnest quality to him. The look is obviously there to the point that we have uh, our favorite people in the world, the Snyder Bros, uh, criticizing him, saying he just looks exactly like Henry Cavill, which I don't see. As far as I'm concerned, they were both cast because they look like Superman, and that's sort of the point there. Um, Either way, uh, I think uh, the casting is uh, something to be really excited about. It is uh, something that I'm very uh, positive about. I'm looking forward to this movie. I have high hopes. And I think the the casting of the two leads, so far at least, uh, is indicating uh, the right direction for this movie. Chris, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm very, very excited. I knew peripherally about The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Um, not enough because I thought it was Maisel. Um, but I had seen like clips here and there floating around social media. And it always was a show that I had been meaning to watch. Um, And then when this news came across, I was like, all right, it's time to take the dive. So I watched like the first four or five episodes within 24 hours and I was hooked um, on Brosnahan's performance, particularly. Um, 
Also, shout out to that show. I know it's not necessarily nerdy, but I mean, like, there's so many things I love about that show. Like, the cast is great. Tony Shalhoub, as a as a as a Mr. Monk fan, like, it was so happy to see him thriving in another role too. But yeah, I'm very very excited about this. Um, uh, David Cornsweet is um, wholly completely unknown to me. Um, but I saw a couple of clips going across social media. I think there's a Netflix show called Hollywood where it's like a kind of like a golden age, similar time frame of Mrs. Maisel. Um, and, and he's speaking and, and you get kind of that golden era ethos like Clark Kent uh, clip that I saw of him. So I, I believe I sent that to you. So I'm, I'm very excited about this. Um I'm still very intrigued about where we go with the direction of, of Lex Luthor. Um, you know, early reports that I saw or, or late latest reports that I saw is that the two of the scars guards are, are neck and neck for that Nicholas Holt who lost out now to Batman and Superman roles um, is still being considered for Luthor. So I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued to see where we go from there and uh, just uh, continually watch this one develop. Yeah, I have I have a lot of interest in where this is going because uh, you know indications seem to be now that this movie is taken, at least in one regard, a very different direction, and I and I find that to be the the right move. Uh, you know, there is some talk about characters from the Authority making an appearance here, and although I'm not a huge fan of the Authority myself, they are a really good, I think, foil as far as like comparing. Um, heroics between you know Superman style and the more you know edgy style uh, of, of superhero comics. Um, a lot of movies want to postulate that Superman is either the only uh, superhero or the first, and all the others flow from him. And I like the idea of him coming into a world that already has established heroes because that falls in line in a lot of ways with um, with DC Comics lore. I mean, we have the World War II heroes, you know, the Justice Society. So if if you're putting Superman into a world that has had costumed crime fighters before, um, you're opening up a, a much richer DC tapestry and history uh, that is something more akin to the comic books where he is not you know at least continuity wise he's not considered you know the first anymore but but one that is sort of the first of a new generation i guess and so i really like that i like that there's going to be a clear contrasting between his style and and something like the authority i think i think there is great potential to make a, a grand statement that Superman as a character and what he stands for and who he is is not so quote unquote old fashioned or out of touch uh, as as some uh, comic book fans like to uh, like to pretend that he is. So I, I have high hopes for this movie. I really do. Yeah, one other quick you know random rumbling that I saw on social media um, was people were kind of toying with like legacy and like this is the introduction of the character to this new universe. Like, why is it? Why is the legacy moniker attached to that? And um, the, it was, I, I can't remember if it was a confirmed report or a rumor or what have you, but what I heard was that it's really going to be hyper-focused on the relationship between Paul Kent, Jonathan Kent, and, um, and, and Clark. So I'm very excited to see about that because that was, um, you know, not to beat a dead horse or... Um, you know, a father who commits suicide via tornado. Um, but that was one of my greatest disappointments with Man of Steel. And um, I'm not the biggest Kevin Costner fan to begin with. So I'm very excited to see the, the casting for that role as well. 
yeah yeah i i think i think the right moves are happening um uh when it comes to this movie and uh, i have i'm starting to have some some strong high hopes here that this turns out to be a really good superman movie all right chris so what do you have for your uh, nerdy news this week well this one is is a bit disappointing for me um I, I'm going to full disclosure. I have not read any of um, Dan Slott's new Spider-Man series. Um, but I, I, I said this on social media as well, but one of the, one of the disappointing things that, that is kind of developed in Marvel comics. And, and there are a, a number of them. If you've listened to any of our recent episodes um, that with the, rampant success of across the spider verse um and now two widely regarded um widely acclaimed spider-man movies with miles morales as the center the fact that marvel comics is not pushing him like with with the same gusto that wolverine was getting 15 to 20 years ago where wolverine was showing up on the avengers and the x-men and everybody in their mama's book and miles as the central hero of the biggest movie of the year should be getting the same treatment. But instead we're getting a little, a little new character, the spider boy that full disclosure, I don't know a whole lot about other than his costume is mid at best. Um, and from from my remedial research, he's a little white boy. And so we are undermining the success of Miles Morales, an Afro-Latino boy, by interjecting this character who people are saying is an amalgam character and what have you. Well, now, <clears throat> as this character has found success, the Spider-Boy character has found success in sales according to scribe Dan Slott, he is now getting his own solo series coming in November. Spider-Boy number one arrives in November for Dan Slott, Paco Medina. And maybe I'm out of touch and maybe this is a great character, but it just is, it just feels like a, such a disingenuous and as Dan Slott is wont to do, he took to social media in defense of this and saying, Long story short, the bottom line is this character sold. This is, quote unquote, what fans want. And that's why he's getting a solo. But I feel like that's such a disingenuous argument personally, because number one, I know for a fact that our Instagram feed is filled with grifters and people who are trying to turn a profit on those comics, first, second, third, however many prints you want to make, simply because they want to grift on the first appearance of that character. Full stop. Have they read the issue? I highly doubt it. So that's why this book has sold, in my opinion. Number two, even if that's the case, even if he has sold, there should still and now I put this on Marvel editorial, like I do, there still should be a primary focus to put Miles Morales on darn near every book that is Spider-related. And it's such a disingenuous argument, and it makes me upset. Am I, am I, am I out of touch here, Dave? 
when it comes to Spider-Man, I think you're wildly out of touch usually, but that's because of our highly divergent opinions on some um, some stuff going on one, right now. One character, one character. <laughs> However, uh, when it comes to Spider-Boy, I, uh, I, I feel that you are exactly on the right track. Um <sighs> You know there there are there are several things we can say about about Mr. Slots um, protesting on on social media. I went ahead and I read through that that thread. And I would like uh, oh like by the way, at the time of recording, I would like to pull that up for research purposes. But Elon Musk has crapped the bed yet again in the most royal fashion, so I can't open Twitter because my rate limit was exceeded, even though I haven't used Twitter today. Now, I will also point out that uh, I'm hearing that uh, um, Meta, our good friends Meta, <coughs> uh, are actually trying to have an Instagram offshot that is going to be text-based and basically be a, uh, a Twitter competitor. So we might get like a new app that's from Instagram and uh, is text-based. So we'll, we'll see. There are a lot of different uh, alternatives being worked on right now. I'm just waiting for one to catch on so I can ditch Twitter. So. Um, but yeah, so I, I read through that thread again uh, yesterday just to kind of um, you know get a sense for it. I also replied to him. Um, he, I, he, I went ignored, but I didn't get blocked, so I guess he wasn't that mad at me. Um, but basically, uh, when, when you're saying, first of all, that sales uh, influenced the decision to give Spider-Boy an ongoing series, uh, yeah, that, that is disingenuous. For one, you are right that there there is definitely a huge speculator's market for character-first appearances. Um I think it also pays to to note that at the time that he made that post, Edge of Spider-Verse number three, which featured a story with Spider-Boy in it, had just released a week prior. So, and that only made the characters, I think, overall third appearance. Um, so it's it's unlikely that that particular issue, which he cited as a factor in the decision, actually did in fact factor in the decision. It, it, it's, decisions in the comic book market don't happen that quickly um you know a book to be created and put out there takes a little bit of time to ramp up uh and i've not extensively worked in the comic biz but i have worked a little in the comic biz and i have worked there enough to know that things take time um i think it also pays to realize that every appearance of spider boy so far has been presented as a piece of a larger story um, and you don't do that unless you have every intention of actually trying to tell that story. So given the fact that this was not a, you know, a done in one character and then by popular demand, we're bringing them back, but, but has been presented as this piecemeal, look, here's an interesting tidbit and here's an interesting tidbit. Wouldn't it be nice if we told you the whole story? It seems very clear that the intention um, from the get go was for Spider-Boy to get some kind of series. And I agree with, with Miles Morales as obviously uh, a huge breakout character for Marvel. And it's so odd that they're not leaning into him more. I will say the same thing about, about Ms. Marvel. I think Kamala Khan is a huge breakout character as far as like new, newer characters. And, and the way they've treated that character has been um, questionable to say the least. Um, there definitely should be a much, much stronger push there. But look, I'm I'm just going to go and I'm going to say it, man. I don't think there's a need for this character. Um, we have so many spider characters, right? And there are so many interesting spider characters. You want to talk about, you know, Spider-Man related characters. You know, where, where's my uh, where's my Spider-Woman Gwen Stacy series? 
You know, I don't, there isn't one currently, you know, where's my Silk series? I think Silk is getting a mini series right now. Now here's a character that has a, a pretty large fan base, uh, is getting a mini series and this new character, um, is getting, you know, an, an, an ongoing and that, that seems weird. And I know you're not the biggest Ben Riley fan, but to me, when you're when you're consciously saying, "Hey, there are too many Spider People, and we don't have room for a Ben Riley character, so we're going to turn him heel," and then you turn around and you create just another hero Spider-Man character a few months later, that's just that's just disingenuous, man. Like you have all these characters laying around, and I'm just scratching the surface of Spider-related characters that could have. Um, you know, an ongoing series. Uh, you know, where, where's where's my Mayday Parker series? You know, it's been forever since since the future Spider Girl has had some kind of series. Like, where where's that at? Especially considering her her toddler baby form, which was just on the big screen and 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 made yep. a huge splash and is very very popular. There are all sorts of things that Marvel could do to capitalize on the success of of, of this most recent movie. Uh, but instead, they introduced this new character that. I, for the life of me, I can't find anybody who actually cares about it. Like, like I know there, I'm, they, I know they must be out there, right? I mean, everybody has fans, right? But for the life of me, I have not been able to come across anybody who's like, I'm genuinely excited for this, for this ongoing series. And you and I both know, thanks to the speculator, speculator market at the very least, the first issue is going to sell very well. But I'm be curious to see how sales go after that. You know, um. You know, if if it's going to be diminishing returns, and if this thing is even going to hit issue twelve, or if it's going to to implode due to a lack of interest, um, I'll I'll be I'll be watching. Yeah, I think the only the only legitimate interest I've seen, like I said, is in the speculative market and people who are trying to immediately flip them and turn a profit. That's literally the only people that I've seen clamoring for these. I also don't think it's entirely fair to say, oh, you know, all these issues sold out. Uh, it's by popular demand when when Slot was on social media hyping this stuff up the whole time. Like, you know, like, retailers, you really need to order more of this book. Something big is going to happen, you know? Like, when 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 you're a writer of a book says that, then, as a, then retailers will take note of this because they don't want to be left out in the cold, you know? Like, he, he definitely... Create, tried to create a hype for this on social media when Spider Boy made his made his first appearance. So it's not like this just is like this unexpected huge success that nobody could have anticipated. You know, it's just it's very weird. Yeah, that wraps up nerd news. I there's not a whole lot I have to add to that. What are your all's reactions uh, to the Superman casting of David Gordon Sweat and Rachel Brosnahan? Uh, and this whole Spider-Boy situation. Hit us up on social media, if you can, on Twitter and Instagram, at NerdByWord individually, that Nerd Dave and that Nerd Chris. When we come back from our first break, it is the third annual Nerdies. All right, welcome back to the main segment of this episode. The reason we are truly gathered here today is to celebrate the best in content in the best of nerddom. So we are looking at um, the same categories that we had last year. We have best ongoing comic series, best back issue discovery, best indie creation, game of the year, best in shows, best nerd flick, best actress and best actor, writer and artist of the year respectively as well so let's start at the beginning with best ongoing comic series dave your award goes to 
All right, so uh, a caveat here, ongoing and that it was ongoing. <laughs> because That's it just right, wrapped, yes. It just it just wrapped up, regrettably. But uh, best ongoing that I have read uh, by a mile since it launched in 2019 has been Captain Marvel. As far as the big two goes, I, I don't think there has been a, a better... Uh, book on the stands that's just hidden consistent quality kelly thompson uh has been writing this there's been a, a, a absolute smorgasbord of artists coming through there each of them fantastic and bringing something to the table carmen carnero lee uh, garbett uh Bellin ortega uh javier pina there's been so many uh really cool artists coming through this book but i have to say that that kelly thompson just absolutely knocked this out of the park uh, the series re- recently wrapped up with issue fifty. Thompson's moving on to other things, and it's it's almost it's almost heart wrenching to see her moving on because holy smokes, was this the Captain Marvel you know um, comic book that I've been waiting for? Uh, you know, Carol has been an interesting character to me. I, I didn't know a whole lot about her when you know the Captain Marvel movie launched with Brie Larson. I got very curious. I went back and read. You know some of the Miss Marvel years when when she was Miss Marvel. Uh, I read the the introductory series when she took on the Captain Marvel moniker, and I found a lot of stuff to really truly like about the character. Um, and then and then Thompson's book came along, and this just kicked it up to another level. Like this is this is the book, this is the run that made me really truly fall in love with Carol Danvers as a character. Holy smokes, did this book just fire on all cylinders, how it dealt with the relationships with her supporting cast, with other heroes, the kind of threats that were um, introduced. I'm I'm keeping it purposefully vague because I think it's really, really worth it uh, for people who haven't read this to go in at cold, um, to to get on, you know, uh, Marvel Unlimited. Uh, I think most of the series is on there now. The last couple issues as of recording still need to be added, I think. And just really sit down and just read these 50 issues because it is an absolute barn burner. Yeah, I'm really intrigued by this. Um, what I've read of Kelly Thompson's work with um, with the, the Amazing Spider-Man stuff that she did, the Beyond stuff, I really greatly enjoyed. I loved her Mr. and Mrs. X stuff. Carol Danvers is a character that I am very lukewarm on in the comics. Um, I love everything about Brie Larson um, and what she stands for, what she represents, how she like thumbs her nose at the face of, of all the haters and all of the insecure men on the internet. So I love everything about her. There are, and you know, some of this is not her fault. You know, Ben just still needs to answer for his crimes of civil war too. But um, there you know, Carol, Carol is, is winning a lot of favor with me, um, with the first two issues of this new Avengers run, for example. And so, um, she's also been on some books that I really, really adored, like, uh, you know, ultimates and ultimates too. Um, not the Mark Miller hogwash. Um, uh, but I'm, I'm really interested by this because I know also that just kind of peripherally by people, um, that I know have enjoyed it in, uh, in addition to yourself, um, there's a lot of cool crossovers. A lot of X-Men are kind of showing up with like the brood war and all that stuff. So I think I'm going to have to take the dive on this one. And I'm also, um, excited by, by the new team of, of Alyssa Wong and, um, and company that are coming into this. So, um, I might be reading Captain Marvel comics regularly, which is something I didn't think I'd be saying. 
All right, Chris, so who gets your uh, nerdy for the best ongoing comic series? All right, I, I promise this is a new episode, but I'm going to love on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comics by ITW Publishing. Uh, it's consistently been the best. Um, I've I've spent the better part uh, better part of this summer break catching up on uh, a book that I'll I'll uh, I'll mention in a moment. But on a consistency basis, um, and this ongoing has been going on for 12 years now and i don't think it takes a single issue off i think it is consistently issue for issue um one of the best things i've ever read in the medium uh, it's right up there with ultimate spider-man um and we don't have to worry about the whole wolverine wanting uh mj you know so um it, it is it's just truly great um and i i as i said before like what I, I loved what, what Tom Waltz and Kevin Eastman and company did with the first hundred issues so much that, you know, when, when Sophie Campbell came on in issue 101, I was just like, how is this going to work out? Um, I, I was optimistic. I, I was by no means pessimistic at all. But, um, you know, Sophie Campbell being a, a transgendered woman and, and bringing that experience into her work um, as a parent of a transgender son, like that has just been really, really powerful to read. And, um, and I'm, I'm specifically talking about the issues of TMNT proper, the main ongoing, um, and just kind of that subtext and that analogy being present, um, minor spoilers, but, um, in the, the latter part, I think it's issue 100, like this mutagen bomb is set off and an entire, entire borough of New York uh, is turned in to mutants. And so you have people who were just minding their business. They were not involved in the turtles situation whatsoever. And you have an entire um, you know, neighborhood, a group of people that are morphed into animals now. Um, these mutated animals and dealing with that body dysmorphia and your old life and what's the new normal for you. It's been incredibly powerful to read. Um, there's also an issue where they have like a battle of the bands and like you see the art style. What I love about Sophie Campbell and there are a multitude of artists um, that that collaborate with Sophie on this. But for a lot of a lot of these issues, she's doing both story and art. And as someone who loves Walt Simonson's Thor run like that, just that just speaks to me, uh, you know, doing the writing and the art on this. Uh, but that issue in particular really stood out to me because you could see the music coming to life. Um, Dave, you remember that Superman one uh, splash page by Campbell where in the cape you kind of see the characters that make up Clark Kent's supporting cast kind of embodied in that cape that's what happened in those musical notes as the musical notes came to life you see flashbacks of these characters that you've grown to love over the course of this ongoing series and it's just an incredibly powerful book um and going through this event that i'm going to spoiler you know award in a moment like even it, it comics are an interesting medium when it comes to crossover sometimes like it really is just a dud and you can tell by the publishing arm that it's just a ploy to sell more books but what what the main series is able to do in light of that event and still have additive moments and really those family moments 
in that series is truly remarkable. And it's far and away the best ongoing comic series for me this year. Yeah, I've fallen off the wagon on, on TMNT a while back, and I'm trying to trying to get back on. It's always difficult to find the time. And uh, the further I fall back, the harder it is to get caught up because it's such a daunting undertaking. Um, but I am very much looking forward to getting back in the swing of things because you are right. Everything I've read from the IDW TMNT series makes it really, I think, probably my favorite incarnation of those characters. It's just a great synthesis of my favorite elements from various different interpretations. It's 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 almost it's like, like the best uh, of the best, like the best. Of yeah, the best. like exactly. Yeah. It's qu- it's quintessential TMNT, and and I think that's really really awesome. Do you remember that scene from the first Ninja Turtles film um, where they think that Splinter has died and he shows like basically his astral form appears to them in the fire? Yes. Yeah. Like that's one of the most powerful scenes. And you get that a lot in this run. And it's just it's so awesome. Like, oh. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to get back into swing of things on that one. All right, now this is a character, uh, excuse me, this is a category that I created last year simply because I had spent a lot of time reading stuff um, from the back issues and, and stuff that I had never gotten around to reading. Um, so best back issue discoveries up next, Dave. Yeah, and uh, to be completely honest with you, this is going to sound um, really like I'm, I'm one of the most tone-deaf dc comics readers ever because i will have to admit that i had not actually read this up until now i have kind of you know really like dived into an issue here an issue there but never actually sat down and made a concerted effort to read the whole thing um until now for me you know the the quintessential sort of modern wonder woman writer has been greg rucka every time that that rucka touches wonder woman I'm, i'm all about that it's just a really really great couple of runs that he's had on the character um but I never really went like to the post-Crisis on Infinite Earths reboot, which was written by George Perez. And I have started doing that. And I'm through the first maybe 12 issues of the run so far. And holy crap, like how have I been sitting out on this this whole time? It is absolutely my favorite interpretation of Wonder Woman. It's like so many things that I love about the character find their roots in, in Perez's uh, Wonder Woman reinvention. It's so dense in its storytelling. It is so um, literate. So all the references to, to Greek mythology and the various gods and goddesses that show up. It is, um, you know, although it is a really old book now, I mean, I think it came out in like 86. It's when the book started. Um, there are so many topics that, that you know, even, even to this day hold great societal relevance, you know, violence against women and uh, struggles in the in in with inequality and and there's so many cool things here. The notion of Wonder Woman as an ambassador, not just a superhero, finds its roots here. Um, Perez actually did the art for the the first few issues as well, um, although he felt he couldn't keep up with a monthly schedule and eventually handed off the reins there. And it's just absolute glorious looking at those first few issues where he is doing the art. It is an absolute stunner. So I'm reading this on on DC Universe Infinite. And uh, I, I just regret top to bottom that I have not been that I've not not actually ever taken the time to sit down and read the whole thing. So my goal right now is to read the whole Perez Wonder Woman run. Um, but I have to take my time with it. It is, you know, it is a comic book that is of a very different era. And so that it's a lot wordier. There's a lot more going on on each page. It's it's much, much slower 
read than a lot of modern comic books. But somehow I appreciate that as well. It's a style that has gone out of style, really. But it, it, there's something really fun about having to to forcibly slow down and really interact with the book rather than just kind of breezing through it. So, man, George Perez's Wonder Woman, I cannot believe I've been sleeping on that so long. Yeah, and I think a lot of that, that what came to light was with his unfortunate passing. And so, um, like, that really kind of brought back into at least, you know, like the main comic discourse um, was like the legacy of George Perez. And so, um, you know, me as a DC newcomer, like I've heard about it, you know, in circles, but um, it's something that I'm definitely intrigued to, to visit soon and very soon. Alrighty, Chris. So, what has been your f- uh, favorite back issue discovery? Well, speaking of DC, um, I fell head over heels in love with um, you know Jessica Cruz last year, um, and I think my back back issue discovery was Green Lantern, so you know, which was a Jessica Cruz led book along with Simon Boz. And so, you know, one of the cool things that DC has done here recently. Um, has been like these young adult graphic novels. And it, you know, I, it caught my eye because um, they showed up at the school book fair. And so like, I'm, you know, just browsing. I, I've got, I've got the prime set up, man. You know me, my classroom is right across from the library. So like, I can just walk across when I've got free time and just nerd out and just look at books. Um, and so something that, you know, and I've caught a couple of, of stuff from the book fair, but this one I actually found on the DC Universe Infinite app. That that title is still we gotta we gotta water that down a little bit. It's it's a mouthful, DC. Love y'all. Uh, but <laughs> one that I I found and I was kind of in between reading things, and I was like, you know what? I haven't read a Jess book in a while, and so I just searched for Jessica Cruz, and it was like, get to know this character. Da 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 da. And it was a lot of stuff that I already read. And then Unearthed, a Jessica Cruz story came up. It's written by Lilium Rivera and art by Steph C. And it's another one of those young adult graphic novels that I guess it's like um, an Elseworlds or alt-universe story. And Jessica Cruz, and, and it's a previous recommendation, so you know I can I can give you all the, the notes to go back to it. Um, but it was, why it was really impactful to me is she has no superpowers whatsoever. And it's just a real life slice of life story about being an immigrant kid and having to deal with the xenophobia, the racism, um, you know, of living in the United States, you know, and even in this realistic fiction kind of U.S. cities that dc has built and and around the world in in the dc universe and sometimes it works for me and sometimes it kind of takes me out of it as as someone who's a primarily marvel reader but it 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 kind of is universal here um so it's incredibly powerful and you know me i am you you introduce uh mythology and deities and i'm already entranced and the real calling card for this book is steph c's splash pages and this kind of dreamscape that she built um, with the Mesoamerican deities that kind of come to life in the museum exhibits and, and speak to her and give her advice and, and all of this stuff. So unearth the Jessica Cruz story, Lillian Rivera and Steph C is my back issue discovery uh, for this year. 
I remember that you were uh, nerd commending this at one point and I put it on my reading list and I still have not checked it out. And now you're bringing it up again. And once again, I'm reminded I definitely need to check this out. So, <laughs> so it is, it's rising back up to the top of my list. All right. Uh, next category is best indie creation. Uh, Dave, this would have been mine as well uh, if I didn't feel so strongly about about my pick. So I'm glad you're putting it there because it is nothing short of a masterpiece. Yeah, uh, Many Deaths of Layla Star by uh, Ram V and Felipe Andrade is a masterpiece uh, put out by Boom Studios, which has been just knocking it out of the park in, in the last few years. It is such a gloriously, beautifully executed book from the writing to the art uh it's a great meditation on life and on death and it's it's just an absolute masterpiece of a book and uh still you know it's something that my mind returns to frequently and that is i think the hallmark of all the really good ones is that you they don't really want to let you go you always have to think about them again or something that happened in the book or a character or a moment and, and, and so for that, uh, the many deaths of Layla Star. Again, I, I don't want to get into too much of like, you know, um, spoiler territory because I really want people listening to check this out if they haven't yet. But basically it deals with the um, the upcoming discovery of, of immortality among humanity and the avatar of death is sort of cast down now uh, to lead a, a mortal life since she's not needed anymore. And she tries to go after the person who's going to invent immortality as a way of trying to re-secure her position. And what follows is just an absolute beautiful meditation on life and death. And, 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 you know, it's, it's just perfect. It's an absolute fantastic book, Chris. Yeah. It's, it's such, um, it's, it's so powerful and I need to read it again. It's a, it's, it's a quick read. It's a powerful read. I believe it's only six issues. Um, and, you know, especially in the the wake of falling in love with um, Kamala Khan, like South Asia as a whole and everything that the Miss Marvel Disney Plus series kind of brought back to mind as South Asia has been, you know, some a culture and um, a history that I'm increasingly intrigued by and interested in. And so kind of seeing this in another form outside of the guise of superhero comics was really fascinating to see. Sometimes I have to really remind myself, you know, as I'm, I'm superhero first when it comes to my comic book reading, then I kind of have to step outside of that um, and have these different experiences and have indie creations because I am so one track mind at times when it comes to what I go to comic books for. And this was like a rude awakening in the best possible way for me. All right, Chris, so what was your favorite indie creation that you've read over the past year? All right, I teased it earlier, but uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the Armageddon game. And this was, if, if you know, my, my research tells me correctly that this was Tom Waltz's baby. Um, but, you know, the creative team of Tom Waltz, and it's, it's, it's an overarching crossover um, amongst three titles you have um, with with a couple of one shots in there as well, but um, primarily three titles you have to bounce back and forth, and and sometimes you know in comics that can be frustrating to have to do, but it's just, it's a seamless approach here in my opinion. Um, there were some publishing issues uh, as of right now. I'm still recommending this or still awarding this without the final issue. Um, I, I think it got hit with delays, so. 
the Armageddon game number eight still has not been published yet. It's coming out this Wednesday as of the time of recording. Um, but I'm still going ahead because it was the best possible way to read and spend, you know, the first part of my summer break. Oh my God, we're halfway done, Dave. Um, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the Armageddon game, I'm, I'm an, it, it's such an interesting situation. And one of my favorite retcons, and there are so many on the, the TMNT ongoing was, I forget how long it was. It was in the fifties or sixties, I think where they basically retconned the rat King and he's no longer this just shadowy, disgusting character. Um, he's actually a deity in this pantheon with his siblings. And if you're a fan of like Greek mythology, where like the, the Odyssey and the Iliad, where the gods just can't help but interfere with the lives of mortals. That's basically what we get with the Rat King and his siblings. Um, and some of them, you know, work on the side of our heroes and some of them are directly opposed to our heroes. And so the Rat King, this is his Armageddon game. He is conjuring up an alliance um, to take out the turtles um, and it's just such a such a macro idea and it, and it's executed so well in my opinion and sometimes you know the alliances kind of shift you know you have people that you've considered villains and adversaries for the entirety of their character's history now working on the side of the heroes and the turtles and joining forces and things that you never you know expected but it's it's absolutely done so well so um th- 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 when you have three different series and a bunch of one shots there's so many creative people so i apologize for leaving anybody out but tom waltz kevin eastman sophie campbell uh vincenzo federici uh Faro pay uh ronda patterson juni bot just just so many people um just flexing their creative muscles i think the world of juni bot in particular um his his um, TMNT annual from last year was magnificent. His art style is distinct and unique and gorgeous. Um, and it lends itself so well to this property, these characters, I believe. Um, and so he did um, an issue of TMNT, the Armageddon game, The Alliance, where you have these unlikely characters joining up with the turtles or creating, forging their, their own alliances. But every issue is just a banger after a banger. I didn't even know that this thing existed. So uh, this is what I get for being out of the TMNT loop for so long. Um, yeah, this sounds great, man. I'm definitely going to have to check this one out. Okay, next up, we switch to the world of video games. And Dave's least surprising award goes to... The Steam Deck, man. I mean, you know, we can talk specific games. There have been plenty that I've really enjoyed this year. But uh, has anything revolutionized the way I game more than the Steam Deck? Heck to the no. Uh, this is this little machine is absolutely glorious. Um, and I'm still discovering new things that I can do with it. Uh, I just got game streaming set up on it from, from my PlayStation. So now I can... I can basically uh lay in bed and turn on my steam deck and push a button and my my playstation in the living room will turn on and i can play it right everything right there on my steam deck uh so i'm i'm basically 
have turned this into my one-stop shop from emulating older video game systems to playing my PC games on it uh, to now streaming my Xbox and my PlayStation to it. It's pretty much the only device I need at this point. It does pretty much everything I need. I don't really game at the TV anymore on my computer. I do everything directly on my Steam Deck. And it's just the most fun I've had in a very, very long time gaming. It is an absolute blast of a device. Um, and it's just completely changed the way I game, man. So nothing has been as good as the Steam Deck in the world of video games for me. Okay, but I'm going to be a stinker here and press you. If you had to pick one game that you like the most playing on said Steam Deck, what is it? See, the thing is, I've been I've been uh, replaying a lot of older stuff that I have not, you know, played in a long, long time. So um, I would say the the game that I've logged the most time in on there has probably been Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Um, I never nice. got around. To, I approve I never, this message. I never got around to playing it, uh, you know when uh when it came out fresh and now i'm kind of punting back and going to it and i've I've put quite a bit of time into it and i'm really really enjoying it i also played a a fair amount of um a far cry 5 on there you know the setting and everything of that game is really cool i replayed horizon zero dawn on it um that game just never gets old for me (laughs) just the mechanics of that game are so cool um so it's just it's just been a, a sort of a variety of things that i've been doing with it I love I love Odyssey. Um, I don't know that it's like my favorite of the recent ones, but it's so great in that I've beaten the game with Alexios and I can start over and play as Cassandra and have a completely different story. And so like I'm excited to do that, like whenever I have the free time. Which is always a challenge. <laughs> yeah. All right. So what has been your game of the year, Chris? I can't believe it, dude. I'm like... I'm 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 giving my game of the year award to a mobile game. I never thought that that would happen. I have I've had such a love hate relationship with mobile games and the grift, but Marvel Snap has has been the game of the year for me. Um, in a very close, very it just edged out Midnight Suns, which is a fantastic game and deserves all its flowers as well. Um, the amount of of love and care and detail that went into Midnight Suns. Um, down to the DLC, where it's an additive storyline that makes sense. Um, characters that you at first think, like, how do they work in here? But the storyline weaves them in there perfectly. So all the flowers to Midnight Suns, it, it's truly splitting hairs. But Marvel Snap just brings me every every day. You know, there are three times during account, uh, each day that you have new missions to complete and I'm right there. Like it is appointment gaming. Like I, I'm like, all right, I got to go get my achievements. I've got to go clear my objectives, get my rewards. I got to level up my cards. And it's just like, I was never a big card deck game player. And so kind of the advent of making this like a virtual deck and almost like a, like a Pokemon type of situation where you're collecting cards, you're collecting variant covers of characters and, yeah, you can you can pay money on this, but for the most part, you can just you know make your achievements and do what you need to do um, without having to spend any money. But like, so, but they get me for the season pass every time, and you know what? I'm happy to pay ten bucks for the new season. But I, it's the the most enjoyment that I've gotten gaming this year. 
Um, it's created like a like a special little section of the X of Words Discord and like a group chat among friends where like we're strategizing, we're sharing decks and strategy with each other. We're showing off our our favorite variant uh, covers to characters and collecting. And oh my god, I finally got this character. Um, it's it's just been the the most fun I've had gaming this year. Yeah, I, I still haven't checked this out. Uh, as I've said to you many times, mobile gaming has been extremely icky to me. Um, however, I will say that card battlers I'm not unfamiliar with. I never got into Pokemon like a lot of people of my generation did. But I did uh, really enjoy Magic the Gathering back in the day and uh, played very extensively uh, Magic the Gathering. So I'm, I'm familiar with card battlers. Um, and I'm not uh, I'm not opposed to trying one again. Uh, and if you're telling me this is good, even though I'm you know really iffy on mobile games, I might just have to give it a shot. All right, we now move towards uh, television or streamers. Um, and Dave, you surprised me with this one because I'm very very proud of it. and I'm very very excited that you loved it because it's a nerd commendation of mine coming to fruition. I'm just a little bit perturbed that you have now surpassed me and, and viewed the entire series and I'm still stuck in season two. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that speaks to the quality of this show because I actually pretty much binged it. Uh, not, not that difficult to binge considering the episodes are like 20 some minutes long, but Holy smokes, a Star Trek lower decks, a blast. Um, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm iffy on parodies um, because I, I kind of grew up in a generation where we got, um, just a metric crap ton of disposable parodies on the big screen that all sucked. I'm talking about like um, superhero movie and uh, a, a teen movie and all these really like just like lowest common denominator, uh, you know, sort of of the moment things that, that the humor never holds up for longer than five minutes. A lot of the jokes were already dumb in it when when the movie was released. And for me, the really good stuff, the stuff that really parodies something well, it, it kind of goes to the quintessence, the heart of what that thing is and doesn't just like throw, you know, you know, current event references at it, you know. And so I've seen so many bad parodies. Um, now, if you want to like, what's a really good parody? I don't think there's ever been a better parody of like the police procedural than the Naked Gun movies, right? With Leslie Nielsen. Like that's how you do parody right. They do actually go through making an actual police procedural movie and then just add all the crazy stuff on top of that and that's kind of what lower decks does it is it is a star trek show it's not you know a a stupid parody of a star trek show it's a star trek show where a lot of weird crap happens but at its core it is a star trek show um it takes place in the in the star trek timeline um it has guest appearances from from previous trek people um so it happens to take place on a really small, insignificant ship where all sorts of weird crap happens. But the look of the show, the feel of the show, the kind of stories it tells, the score, it all feels of a cloth with the rest of Star Trek. So it is not a ha-ha, how stupid is Star Trek? It is more of a, I love Star Trek, but I find humor in these things as well. And 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 that that is so perfect it works so well for somebody who loves trek as much as i do and so you know having having a guest appearance by 
by uh, by Sulu was absolutely awesome. Or uh, you know, Riker having several guest appearances, and the way he is depicted in this show is absolutely in line with him in Next Generation, and at the same time, is absolutely hilarious. Um, but my favorite episode, I think, is when they actually travel to Deep Space Nine, and we get to see Kira Nerys and Quark again, and they they brought the actual voice, uh, the actual actors back to do the voices, and it just it it felt very very good to be back on ds9 um and so right now believe it or not the most anticipated episode of strange new worlds which i adore but just really just now came back with new episodes um is is actually the lower decks crossover episode like i cannot wait to see uh, these characters make the jump to live action i can't wait to see how they interact with like star trek past um it's just a really really fun show the humor lands the animation is good but it feels like Trek, and I think that's the most important thing. It, it's it's respectful parody. Um, it's it's Star Trek fans laughing together at how weird Star Trek can be, rather than somebody an outsider making fun of oh, this is Star Trek. It's kind of stupid. And I think that level of respect is what what gives this show an incredible edge as far as Star Trek shows go. As your favorite bilingual buddy, do you want me to give you a piece of Spanish information that's going to make you love this show all the more? Please do. What's the name of the ship that they are on? Oh, I forgot. <clears throat> it's the Cerritos. Oh, Cerritos. Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> uh, if you pronounce that in Spanish, it's Cerritos, and it translates to the little zeros. <laughs> Oh my god, that's great. Which is perfectly in line because they're the lower decks of the least acclaimed ship in like all of Starfleet. So Can we just talk about how cool the California zeros. class is? The California <laughs> class is amazing. Their whole purpose is to do paperwork. Like they go to do second no, contact. No, no, no. Second, the- yes, second contact. <laughs> and get the get the treaties and stuff signed. We're gonna go do second contact. <laughs> It's so good, man. It really is just a great show. I just I just love and um I just love how self-paradising it is, how it is so willing to just play on the tropes of Star Trek. Uh, like like in the second season, we have an officer, and I'm sorry, I'm I'm drawing a blank at the at the uh the alien race, but the the Darmac Angelod at Tanagra, his arms wide guy. It's like one of those aliens is one of the officers and they're like, what are you, what are you saying? Um, and then like, even like the main bridge crew, like you have a Bajoran as the security officer, but he's clearly a riff on Worf. And you have Jerry O'Connell's character, uh, the first officer, he's clearly a Riker caricature, like clearly. And like, um, and then the the doctor, the doctor being like this, like almost feral cat, like is just so great. And we haven't even got to like our lower deckers. Like you have Beckett, like as you said, I, I was like, who's your favorite character? And you're like, I love Beckett, but like, why is she even there? Like she's clearly too capable to be there. But then like they have moments where her hubris gets the best of her in like the hollow deck episode and like, yeah, that's why you belong there because you can't stay out of your own way. And then you have Boimler who's like too smart for his own good. And like the reason he saved the Cerritos 
and the crew in that episode is because he's like an attention to detail OCD nerd and he wouldn't stop until he got a hundred percent. Like I, I love, I love this show so much. Yeah. I, I, I really am looking forward to the, the strange new worlds crossover and it's really weird. It's weird because as of this recording, um, the third episode landed of Strange New Worlds. And, I, you know, they have not really talked about what each episode is about. So I don't know at this point which episode is the crossover episode. But I think this this episode was something called, like, Tomorrow When Tomorrow. And I was like, oh, that sounds like time travel. Maybe we'll, you know, we'll, we'll get the crossover. And then I was so disappointed it wasn't. And then the episode hit and it was so good. <laughs> it's like, I can't be mad at you, Strange New Worlds. Uh, I might have not gotten my Lower Decks crossover yet, but holy smokes, that was a good episode. So, But yeah, I'm, I'm eagerly anticipating that right now. Yeah, I desperately need to get caught up on Strange New Worlds as well. I think I watched the first two or three episodes, uh, as I said, in when you nerd commented it a couple weeks ago. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I've got so much stuff to get into. And so what is your uh, best in shows, Chris? Oh man, it's Andor. Uh, it is, for my money, the best quality and um, like just creatives with a vision and capturing the heart of what Star Wars truly is. And at first, I I kind of had some apprehension because like we just keep going back to this rebellion era. Like, can we just evolve and and do something different? But like, this is like. This this show is so it's so good. It's so prescient. It's so you know, it's it's also like I think the best shows and why I love Star Trek is because it has biting social commentary. And Star Wars does this as well. Sometimes it kind of loses its way, but you know, resisting in the face of like this seemingly unstoppable regime that wants to you know put their foot on your neck and and keep stepping but what what andor is able to do and like there are a number of speeches in this that will pull at your heartstrings episode three had me openly weeping um i don't want to spoil too much but then like you you have like the heart and like it gets star wars um and it, then you have like the, the the visuals like there's one visual there's one episode where they're like doing this heist and like this for lack of a better comparison you have this aurora borealis looking visual that comes out of that and it's just an absolutely stunning show and it is almost it might very well be perfect um and you know everybody that's involved in this uh, Diego Luna and and all the actors in this are just acting their tokuses off and it's just like if you love like covert like spy versus spy type stuff like it's it's such a good show I I'm not doing it justice in my pitch here but it's it's truly the best show in my opinion that came out in the past year yeah, I uh, watched the first episode and then got sidetracked. So I definitely am going to have to get back to this, uh, if nothing else, because I love Star Wars and I want to, you know, I want to see it all. So uh, it's on my list, man. All right. Now we are transitioning to the big screen um, and we've had no shortage. I, I remember when we started this show and we started the nerdies, we were in the midst of the height of the pandemic and there weren't a whole lot of movies coming out, but we definitely do not have that problem here, Dave. So what's the best nerd flick for you? 
Well, I did not want to step on your toes when it comes to best nerd flick, so I steered clear of any uh, arachnid-related movies. However, uh, I think a close second for me has probably been the Super Mario Brothers movie, and I was surprised by how much I love this. Um, And I think part of it is just that there's a real love for Super Mario Brothers, for the characters, for the history of the character that just kind of goes through that whole movie. And so although it is in a lot of ways a fairly standard animated movie, um, there is such a love, I think, for the franchise in there that I couldn't help but absolutely adored. Um, I'm very interested to see uh, what they would do with a sequel um, or if there's going to be any additional partnerships between uh, Nintendo and Illumination going forward because this was a very successful movie. But man, if you're going to do the Super Mario rap, uh, you know that you you at least have done your homework on the kind of stuff that people of my generation loved about Mario when we were kids. So uh, it clicked. It just really, really clicked for me across the board, and I absolutely adored it. Um, part of that is also the voice acting. I know much was done, uh, much was said online uh, about Chris Pratt as Mario, but I, th- I thought that turned out actually quite well. He he reminded me a little bit, sort of, of the old. Uh, animated show with his approach to how Mario sounded. I I thought that worked. Uh, I adore Jack Black as Bowser. I thought that was really cool. I thought the voice acting across the board was actually really good. Um, So so this one was definitely a standout for me, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, like this is... I can throw no shade at this pick because it was... It was probably the most fun I've had watching a movie in the past year, if nothing else. Like, it, it was just so much fun. It was a love letter to video gaming. Um... Dude, it might be it might be like one of the best video game adaptations we've seen in film. And that's, you know, the bar is in hell. But <laughs> um it 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 very very well might be because it was just so much fun and, you know, Chris Pratt, you know, <laughs> what can you say about the guy? He can say a lot. No, he he's increasingly fascinating person. Like he's like almost like an internet meme hall of fame at this point. Like everybody likes taking their shots at him, but for, you know, in all honesty, he was, he was great in this movie. He was even better in guardians three, which, you know, could easily have been the best nerd flick too. Um, and then he, you know, he goes and puts his foot in his mouth by saying the most idiotic things, you know, in real life. But I, I really, I really love this movie. And um, I mean, like when you, it went from like one Nintendo game to the other, just like paying homage to that. You have like the Super Smash Brothers element when we meet Donkey Kong for the first time. You have, you know, the Rainbow Road Mario Kart. You have, you know, Mario's training montage, um, you know, is kind of like one of the earlier, you know, versions of the, the Mario games, either the Super Mario Bros or Super Mario World. Like it's it's just a whole lot of fun and it was one of one of my most enjoyable experiences of the past year. Alright, so what's your best nerd flick then? Uh I it, it's across the Spider-Verse. Uh, it it is I had high expectations going in and I think it may have even surpassed them. I know we had our nitpicks when it came to the to the storyline when you had to find something. Um, but I think the simple fact of how creative and how ambitious the animation is, nothing else. There could be no sound whatsoever in the movie. 
and the animation alone and what they're willing to try in that medium, I think stands alone. Um, you know, particularly with, with the character of Hobie Brown. Um, and I still, I go up for that Renaissance vulture like that. When I saw that on the, on the screen, I, my mouth hung open. Like it, it was, it was stunning to see. Um, and then you have like the little intricacies that you notice and pick up on, on a second or third viewing of, of Gwen's world and like the walls bleeding or crying. Um, and then you hear the interviews and you say that, you know, hear from Haley Steinfeld that the idea is that her world is like a mood ring and the colors and everything changes based on her mood and her sentiments. And that's just fascinating attention to detail. And then you have the voice acting, which is top notch. I mean, it, it's it's out of this world. Haley Steinfeld is is incredible. Um, you know, um I think the world of Jake Johnson, I think I, I really need to watch new girl because as much as I love Jake Johnson in this role, my kids keep telling me about new girl, tell me I need to watch it. I think, I think it's time for me to, to, to take a dive. Um, I think Daniel Kaluuya came on the scene and absolutely stole the show. Almost like he's like, I'm the captain now. Like this is my movie. And now you have, and I think, um, you know, what one of, um the great hallmarks of a movie like this is just the creativity that it births as a side product and like the fan art that comes out of it um and then w- what else can you say about Shamik Moore like he he really does an incredible job with Miles i think the the cultural authenticity um i i think the world of Miles's parents and and like just like i get that as a parent of a teenager as a dad, regardless of your children's age, like you get it and you feel the family in this movie. And I, I think it's an absolute masterpiece. Yeah. We just uh, did a big review of this movie, so I don't want to like spout off too much, but needless to say, this would have been my first pick, but I, I defer to you as the resident Miles Morales expert. Um, it's just a fantastic movie top to finish. I'm, I'm by no means an expert, but thank you. That's very kind of you to say. Um, we now transition um, to Best Actress. Dave, um, this is a show that my kids are obsessed with. I haven't watched yet, but you're picking her as Best Actress. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I actually... They won't stop it. dancing. They keep doing the dance. I don't care about the dance, although the dance was in within the context of the show. The dance was awesome and had some very, very cool references in there. If you know what you're looking for. Um, but actually, you know, I actually had just a double feature. I didn't get to finish all of, of Wednesday un, until as of recording yesterday. And then I turned around and watched scream six, which also ar- ironically featured Jenna Ortega. So maybe I just OD'd on Jenna Ortega. I don't know. However, her performance on Wednesday is mesmerizing. Now you can say what you want to about the setup of the show. You can say what you want to about the writing on the show. Uh, I enjoyed it for what it was, but it is undeniable that Ortega in the role of Wednesday is an absolute mind blowing experience, mesmerizing to watch. And I think the reason that this show became this phenomenon i think netflix uh recently like recalculated their metrics or something and i've said that this is the most watched show they've ever put out um it's it's 100 
because of her. Like, it is absolutely incredible to just watch her on screen, absolutely magnetic in this role, knocks it out of the park. Uh, I think there were some interviews where she even talked about how she, uh, you know, refused to say some lines that the writers had written because she felt it was out of character. She took real ownership of this character. And you can tell in her performance, it is it is absolutely mind-blowing just to watch her in, in this role. It's a, just a tour de force performance. Um and so after revisiting Wednesday and kind of wrapping up the show finally after not being able to watch the last couple episodes for months, um, it's very, very clear to me that this is just a, a fantastic actress and a fantastic performance. She was very good in Scream 6 as well. Um, and so yeah, I, I think yeah, this is just a, a, an actress that's just has superstar written all over her. She's, she's still going to go very far in her career, I believe. So my exposure to Jenna Ortega has almost exclusively been through TikTok and like just clips here and there, but for no other reason, like I saw, um, I think it was the MTV movie awards where she was co-presenting with Aubrey Plaza and I need, uh, a sister comedy heist movie. Like what was that movie with Jennifer Love Hewitt, um, where she, she and her mom were like con women. Like I need something like that with the two of them, like right now. <laughs> it's just really if you've not if you're not watched Wednesday, it is it is a nice sort of blending of something like uh it's got some Harry Potter vibes with the whole boarding school thing. It's it's got, you know, obviously the Adams family in there, but then it's also got like this this almost like murder she wrote thing going on it's a, it's a it's a great amalgamation of different different ideas and it just all hinges on her performance if her performance wasn't as great as it was this whole show would have fallen apart and and she just knocks it out of the park it is definitely something you should watch at least once chris i have no qualms with your pick for best actress however chris so let's go ahead and get there well, I'm not a coward like the Academy is, so I'm giving my Best Actress award to Ms. Angela Bassett as Queen Ramonda and Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Um, An honorable mention to Letitia Wright, who also gave a tour de force performance in this movie, as we talked about in our review with our good friend Ash. Um, the, un- the unenviable task, almost the impossible task, of having to carry this franchise, this property, in the wake of... Uh, Chadwick Boseman's um, unfortunate passing, um, but like my God, I mean, the the I mean, like the the monologue that we saw in the first trailer alone. Like, if you didn't have an emotional reaction to that, then you probably need to seek counseling. Um, and it's just, it's just a powerful, powerful, powerful performance, um, and it's a great shame. And now these cowards are giving her an honorary oscar and that that's such a slap in the face of of all the things that angela bassett has um accomplished over the past 30 years in in acting um and to whatever but that's neither here nor there this was a a a monumental performance um i think my favorite scene is probably the one at the united nations where she calls them on the carpet it's just it's magnetic, it's magnificent, and she deserves all the flowers and all the acclaim because it was the strongest acting performance by anyone, for, in my opinion, in the past year. 
Can't argue with that. It was a great performance, man. <laughs> so uh, yeah, uh, I got nothing to add because we we did uh, dissect uh, Black Panda Panther with Wakanda Forever in great detail. I would say to our listeners, go listen to that if you haven't. It's a it's a very strong episode. We did not dissect Black Panda. We do not dissect um, animals on this show. Um, this is not a visual medium. So even if we were to dissect a Black Panda, if they existed, it would not be a very good episode. <laughs> Speak for yourself. You do not know what I do in my free time. <laughs> All right. We are now transitioning to Best Actor. And Dave, I only caught the first half of Season 3, Episode 1, but I can't wait to dive back in. Yeah. Uh, best Actor for me uh, after revisiting uh, The Witcher once more with the recent release of Season 3, Volume 1. Uh, goes to Henry Cavill as Geralt of Rivia. Holy crap, dude, is it going to hurt for this show to lose him? Um, he is Geralt to me. I don't know how they're going to pull off this recast. Um, you know, there's been a lot said about why he might be leaving, and there are some creative differences, and, and everything that I'm just seeing out of this uh, interviews, rumors, whatever. It just does not bode well for season four of this show. I'm very concerned. I think Cavill knocks it out of the park. It's, this is his role. This is his character. He obviously very much loves The Witcher. Um, there's been some talk about how he doesn't appreciate how nonverbal uh, Geralt is because he is sort of, and you know this in the books, a little bit more of a talker, almost kind of a little philosopher in some ways. And apparently Cavill wanted a little bit more of that. And I think it would be nice if there was a little bit more of that. Um, but his performance as the character is about as spot on as you can get. Um, I forget her name now, but I, I read an interview with the actress that, that plays Yennefer. Anya, Anya, Anya Chalothra. That's correct. So, And she was asked about the recast and she said that she never even, she never even screen tested with old Mr. Hemsworth. Um, and so she has no idea what kind of chemistry we should be expe- should be expecting between the new uh, Witcher and Yennefer. And that already is like really troubling. Like you didn't even bring him in to test against the rest of the cast. Like he's coming into a pre-established cast. Maybe at least, you know, like try it out a little bit. Um, so Cavill, I think, is a high watermark as far as like, you know, the Witcher, I think he is just the Witcher to me, and and it's going to be super regrettable to see him leave. And just watching the first few episodes of season three reminded me once again how good he is in this role. Yeah, I'm. Part of me is like not watching it because I'm just going to be too sad. Um, as I've detailed on the show, like your very first nerd commendation, you know, put its hooks in me. Um, with the Witcher audiobooks. Um, and uh, I just now, about a month ago, wrapped up the final book and I had put it off. I had put off finishing it. I would listen to blurbs here and there, but I finally finished it. And now I'm just sad all over again. Like the Witcher has has skyrocketed up the charts as one of my favorite fandoms right up there with, with Marvel and TMNT. Like I just absolutely... I love this universe. I love everything about it. I love these characters. Like, uh, like they posted a clip a couple of weeks ago of of Cavill, of of Shalotra and and Freya Allen, like in this like kind of fight montage where all three of them are, 
giving the bad guys the business. And I'm like, that's my family. Like, I love the three of them together. I was I was frustrated by season two that they separated them so much. I, I, I really wish Star Wars, I wish these properties would stop doing that with characters that I'm supposed to care about their relationships. Um, and so seeing them together, like, it's just such a bittersweet thing, knowing that it's going to come to an end. Um, I'm trying to remain optimistic about this recasting. Um, but at the same time, the words grumpy snowman, I've never been able to look past now. And it, it is, it's so poignant and it's so spot on from his perspective to say that. Um, I, I, I almost a hundred percented the Witcher three, the wild hunt uh, a couple of years ago. I, um, I got Witcher two, the assassins of Kings recently um, for like $4 it's it's not as good as Witcher three, but it does kind of follow that storyline from the books. Um, kind of picks up right after the books end. Um, I haven't played the first Witcher video game, but like I, I just love this world so much, and part of me is putting it off because I don't want it to be done. That brings us to your best actor, Chris. Who you got? <laughs> I'm going for it, dude. Uh, I I told you earlier that the Super Mario Bros. movie was the most fun I've had in the movies this past year. And the primary reason for that is Jack Black as Bowser. Um, and I, I, I also just love Jack Black as a personality, as a, as a person, what he stands for. Like, you know, I'm sure you've seen the clip of him going on the tonight show and playing a toy saxophone with the roots. Like, come on, how can you not love this guy? And the way that he embraced this role, he showed up to pre- premiere. <laughs> he showed up to the, the world premiere on the red carpet dressed as Bowser. Like, just shut up and take my money. Like, just stop it. Um, and then my entire household has been singing Peaches for the last six months. Like, it's so good. I, I love everything about Jack Black and, and, and how he completely embodied this role. Yeah, you know, uh, I already said a lot about like, the Mario Bros. movie. Uh, Black was absolutely a highlight. He was a great Bowser. And so, um, you know, I can wholeheartedly endorse your uh, selection here. All right. Now we are dosy doing back to the world of comics. For writer of the year, Dave, your pick is not that surprising. No, I think it's wonderful that there's been a resurgence of the Mark Wade-ness of it all over at DC because he's been one of my favorite DC writers for a long time. You know, uh, great runs on The Flash, uh, his work on Superman Birthright, just a few examples. I'm a big fan of Mark Wade's work. Um, and so he, him having this like renaissance over DC right now, writing World's Finest, having a great, fun Superman-Batman team-up book, um, recently launching a new Shazam book, which is so good, it's not even funny, um, having his crossover Lazarus Planet. Um, he is just really like coming out swinging over at DC right now and bringing a lot of fun back to the publisher. Uh, he's one of a, a couple of two or three top people right now over at DC, just really knocking it out of the park and kind of riding the ship over there away from like grim storytelling into something a little bit more adventurous and fun. Um, and that's my favorite kind of DC. So for that alone, uh, Mark Wade is my uh, top guy this year. Yeah, I'm very excited about this. Um, 
I'm excited to dive in, particularly to World's Finest, because I think the world of Mark Wade. I loved um, what he did with the character of Spider-Man. Um, I loved his stuff that he did for Avengers and the little bit of, of Superman birthright that I read, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed as well. And so, um, I'm, I'm definitely excited to tap into this. And I'm not surprised by your, uh, top writer of the year. Well, it's, it's back to back, uh, nerdy awards for Al Ewing. There, there's simply no writer that I trust more for quality content, um, than Al Ewing, uh, like, like I, I, all all the best to Jonathan Hickman. I think I think Al Ewing is the is the scribe that I trust the most, um, and that's and that's splitting hairs, of course, because I'm I'm very intrigued by. Um, I, I don't know about if you read Ultimate Invasion number one, Dave, but I'm I'm in, I'm intrigued where they're going there. It wasn't like an oh my god issue, but I'm interested to where they're going, um, and to kind of play with that world again. Um, but, but Al Ewing for my money, even in the face of like back to back crossovers and having to write tie-ins for that, I think nobody does that better and like makes you care about crossovers that you don't really care about outside of his work than Al Ewing, uh, and what he's been able to do with X-Men Red. I just, as of the time of recording, I just yesterday, uh, read the before the fall and everything that he's done with the character of Apocalypse or a, uh, and his family has been fascinating. Um, his wife, Genesis, like I, I love this stuff. Um, and I know that you are X-Men agnostic, Dave, but you cannot deny that immortal Thor is at the top of your to read list as well. You better believe it. I agree with everything you just said. There you go. <laughs> All right. Our final nerdy award artist, Ar- Jesus Christ. Um, and our final nerdy award of the year, artist of the year, Dave, like you, you took this one from me. So I already just wholeheartedly second this one. You can't escape Dan Mora, man. Everything is coming up Dan Mora and it's great every time. If I see Dan Mora, look, I, I will freely admit I'm a writer guy. You know, I generally follow writers. I generally, you know, if Mark Waite pops up on something, I'll check it out. I don't care who the artist is. I want to see what Mark Waite is doing, right? But Mora is one of the the first artists in a long time where I'm like, holy crap, Mora is on that book. I need to check this out. Everything that that this person touches is absolute gold. I love his work on World's Finest. I loved his world work on Shazam. You know, I did my big read through of all the Power Rangers stuff this past year, and Dan Mora was right there too on Power Rangers. And my God, his take on Power Rangers was great. So Dan Mora, top of my list this year. Good God, this person's talented. Yeah, it just reminds me that I need to go back and finish uh, the TMNT uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers crossover two. Like, I think I have one more or two more issues of that. Um, and and I'm, I'm saying it right now. Dan Mora draws my favorite Ninja Turtles. Like, I love his character design of the turtles. And uh, it's like I have so many phone wallpapers, desktop wallpapers with Dan Mora's art. Like, absolutely love that guy. And your top artist was an interesting pick. Uh, Lucas Wernick, like, draws beautiful, beautiful people. <laughs> beautiful people. Um, but Lucas has been everywhere in X-Comics, um, most notably, perhaps, in Immortal X-Men, which is all about the Quiet Council and the real housewives of Krakoa, in, if, if not in name, of, like, the drama, the reality show nature of, like, the interpolitics of this quiet council. 
Um, and while you're, you know, picking your jaw up off the floor of the next, like, oh my God, moment of the actions of these characters, you're opening it right back up because everybody looks so freaking beautiful under the pen of, of Lucas Wernick or the art supplies, whatever have you of Lucas Wernick. Everybody just looks so good. And that just, for me, like I'm an old school romanticist. Uh, I grew up on, on uh, the books of Dumont, D'Artagnan and like all those like romanticist things. And, and, and that translated immediately when I started reading Spider-Man comics and got to John Romita and everybody looked gorgeous. Like even in like that sixties, seventies ethos, like everybody looks so good. Um, and, and I think Lucas Wernick is the latest incarnation of that, like romance novel artist in the medium of comic books. Everybody looks absolutely stunning, gorgeous hair, makeup outfits is just on point and, and the most beautiful art to look at for my money. Although, as you said, I'm X-Men agnostic. I probably will have to at the very least uh, dip into this book just to check out the art. So I'll put that on my list. All right, that wraps up the third annual Nerdies. Thank you so much for listening along. Uh, what awards would you give out for the past year? Be sure to hit us up on social media at NerdByWord on Twitter and Instagram when we come back from our final break. Uh, a couple more nerd commendations. Uh, two for the road, if you will. All right, we are back for our final segments where we tell you the good stuff that you need to check out. We call it Commendations. All right, Dave, you not so thinly uh, hinted at this one earlier. Yeah, so uh, I recently got a chance to check out Scream 6 and uh, I'm going to nerd commend it. I was actually uh, very pleasantly surprised. Um, you know, when you have a long ongoing horror franchise like Scream, you never quite know what you're going to get. You know, uh, is uh, a sequel like number six going to be top of the game stuff or are they going to just like play the hits? Is it going to be pretty predictable or boring? I have to say uh, this one kept me guessing. Um, there was some really cool stuff going on with this one. Uh, it picks up. So for those of you that don't know, the uh, last Scream movie before this was sort of. Um, a next generation kind of uh, movie where they introduce some new main characters. Uh, the the original character sort of handed off the franchise into new hands with the main characters being uh, a couple of sisters, half-sisters, Samantha and Tara, with uh, Samantha actually being the daughter of one of the original killers in the first screen, Billy Loomis, and she has to struggle with that. And so uh, this movie kind of picks up with the sisters uh, moving on to New York, where the youngest sister, uh, Tara, who is played by Jenna Ortega, is uh, going to college. Uh, Samantha, the older sister, is trying to kind of watch out for her. They're still sort of traumatized by what happened in the previous movie. And lo and behold, somebody starts putting on the old ghost face mask and comes after them. Um, the the movie is a, a really really good example of a slasher flick i think uh it actually does some very interesting stuff it it plays around with the tropes which is what scream always should be doing anyways um it has a really cool reveal at the end that you don't quite see coming uh, it brings back a character from a previous movie that was always sort of left hanging whether the the character had lived or died and so they played around with that a little bit and uh i was i was very pleasantly surprised uh, moving to New York was weird. The last time they moved a slasher flick to New York, Jason took Manhattan and it sucked. 
Um, this one actually worked really, really well getting out of Woodsboro a little bit. Um, I, I really like this one, man. The performances were pretty good. The, the the tension was there. I wouldn't say it was necessarily scary as most slasher movies are not so much scary as just like tension building at this point. Um, it was a really tense movie. Uh, it worked very, very well. And I was pleasantly surprised that they're still able to make a really good Scream movie. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing if they're going to make another one and kind of ri- round out a... Uh, a trilogy of these uh, new characters because uh, they really kind of work for me now. This is really interesting, you know, given the context that I've only seen Scream 1 and that was um, because I was compelled to. So, um, like, everything peripherally about this movie, though, I've seen, like, a very similar reception uh, to yours, though. Yeah, yeah, it worked shockingly well. Um, I'm, I'm, I've been pleased overall with what they did with this one. Um I just I don't want to give anything away, but I I I guessed I guessed the killer uh, like five minutes before the movie revealed it, and usually they don't string me along that long. Usually I kind of figure it out as as I go, and so um, I I kind of noticed some suspicious behavior on some characters, but I wasn't sure if it was just crappy writing or if it may, had a reason. And then when it had a reason, I was like, oh, so this is actually good writing. Uh, they kind of gave us a hint that there's something up with these people. So it was it was nice. To, to see something that I suspected might be bad writing turn out to be just actually uh, hints of who the killers were. So I was, I was pleased with how that turned out. All right, Chris, what is your nerd commendation for uh, this beautiful week? I'm giving you a double dip with another mobile game. Um, as I detailed uh, a couple weeks ago that I, um, I got Apple Arcade included with my, my phone carrier service. So I've kind of been able to kind of scroll through that catalog and see what I like. And the, one of the first ones that jumped out to me and got my attention was the Oregon trail, because who doesn't have fond memories of, you know, dying of dysentery or cholera along the Oregon trail back in the nineties. Um, but this is a really kind of smart, like reinvention of the game. Um, it still has like that pixelated art to give it that throwback feel but it also has like different game modes. Like you can do the California trail like I'm doing right now. Um, They have different events even. Um, Fishing is really fun. Hunting is fun, but frustrating. Um, And so like it it really kind of is almost like a a reinvention of the game and also like a love letter to the past. and it's it's been it's been a really fun time, um, you know, just sitting and playing this game. So I highly recommend the Oregon Trail on Apple Arcade, um, if you can if you can get it, or if you get a free trial, just you know, just to say that you played it. It's 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 a good time. Now I'm I'm kind of shocked. So they so they brought this one back, and it's a new version of the game. Yeah, it's almost like a revitalized version of it. It's a side scroller. Um, you have to keep track of your character's hygiene. So they don't get sick. You have to keep track of their health. You have to keep track of their stamina as well. And anytime you do something, it drains your stamina. If you go too long, if you don't rest, it drains your stamina. Um, And you have to like, it's almost like a puzzle game when it it comes to uh, your wagon. Because you can't can't just buy up a bunch of supplies. If it doesn't fit in your wagon, you have to discard it. So um, you have to be kind of strategic about it. 
Yeah, I'm actually really interested in trying this, mobile or not. I'm a big fan of Oregon Trail. I always enjoyed that. So, uh, I'm, I'm, dude, I'm going to have to check this out. All right, that wraps up another episode, 156 of the Nerd By Word. We thank you so much for riding along with us. Uh, and if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe on your podcast platform of choice, whether that's Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or nerdbyword.com. And uh, find us on social media. We'd like to hear your opinion on everything we talked about in this episode. So uh, we are on Twitter and Instagram at NerdByWord and individually at that Nerd Dave and at that Nerd Chris. And if uh, things continue the way they have been going, uh, then uh, we might not be on Twitter that much longer, huh, Chris? <laughs> okay, for what it's worth, <clears throat> I after the events of yesterday, the peek behind the curtain, um, the, the, the rate limit was exceeded. Um, and I open back up hive so we are on hive social at nerd by word and our pal kevin ewan kisses love thank you got me an invite so i am at nerd by word on blue sky dave when i get an invite i'll send it to you but i i I really enjoy that there was some lagging as everybody and their mama was trying to come on blue sky yesterday so we will be monitoring this situation as we move along. So, um, but regardless, stay well and stay nerdy. The Nerd Byword is written and produced by Chris and Dave, two nerds with a love of all things pop culture. The podcast features music by Al Jimenez with additional drops composed by Joe Biondi. Our show art is by Ashery Design. Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available. Mm-hmm.